As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. To the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're talking MLS playoffs. We're talking U.S. Men's National Team. Lots to be discussed. Even maybe some uh, Apple and MLS deal chat as well. To do so, I'm joined by a man who has uh, who has gone too big time for the TSS Friday slot. It's Sam Stasekel of the Athletic <laughs> and the Allocation Disorder Podcast. Sam, thank you for being here. It's great to talk to you, as yeah. opposed to reading your shade in the comments section of a Bobby Warshaw live stream. <laughs> that was a fun comment section. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm too big time for Friday TSS, but not too big time for a, the comment section of a watch along with Bobby where eight people are on. Um, I kind of kept forgetting that there were only like seven or eight people on there as we were having those conversations. I really could have just taken it as an opportunity to just uh, slam Bobby more regularly. Yeah, but I, I tried I think, to keep it professional, and then I you think came six in of them were yeah. were media members as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. So. <laughs> I did enjoy how often you and I think Pablo uh, took the time to remind us that there was an actual game happening and goals were actually being scored because we were definitely yes. having our own conversations at times. Yes. Well, you know, th- those were fun. And, you know, I will say I was a lot looser with information and takes because there were only eight people on those mm-hmm. things. So if you were one of the three non-media members on that show, you got you were treated to something pretty special. Um, Ooh. You know, now I'm trying to remember. Plug. Yeah, yeah, Bobby. Bobby did ask us for like our our biggest takes that we haven't like said out loud, but we mentioned in the group chat. And I have mm-hmm. very few such takes. Mine were all pretty lukewarm. Yeah. I think at well, best. That's what happens when you have a daily podcast, Taylor. You don't you don't have takes that you don't have takes that you don't share. You, you just share all of them. <laughs> I just share everything all the time. Uh, we are daily uh, to bring it back to that uh, because you all uh, allocation disorder f- was with us for a long time. You all left the Friday slot. We've put the big thing in there. You all uh, ha- have now moved it over to the athletic soccer <laughs> show. A very creative, uh, very creative title. The athletic soccer show. I don't yeah. know. How you all came up with that one. Um, I like to call it the ass. But <laughs> I don't know if my uh, boss is like that. Uh, but no, but I, I, I tease. But sincerely, how, how has it been? I feel like it's given you guys more opportunities to to do some different stuff, to explore some different uh, podcast forms. Yeah, I mean, for me and Paul and allocation disorder, it hasn't been 
that different at all mm-hmm. apart from you know if we want to record on a tuesday and have it come out on a tuesday or a wednesday then it's a little bit easier to do that since you know we don't work within the confines of the rigid total soccer show ecosystem anymore no i'm kidding <laughs> um no so it's been fine but it's uh it's cool it's really cool the thing that i'm excited about with this, the, the athletic soccer show is that it's given the platform to people like Felipe mm-hmm. to do his podcast with Copa and, you know, Alex Abnos, he was already doing soccer every day, but putting a little more oomph behind that. Um, and just kind of having more, just more space for more people that aren't just me and Paul, because we're boring jerks anyway. No one wants to listen to us. So, um, <laughs> oh. you, you two, two of the leading, uh, soccer writers in this country. Yeah, yeah no one wants to exactly. Exactly my point. Um, no one wants to listen to us. Uh, but no, so I think that's been the coolest part of the Athletic Soccer Show. And we're working on some cool things for the World Cup. We'll be teaming up with some folks from the UK side of the Athletic and doing a lot of cool stuff from Qatar. And then Paul and I actually have a new project for us, which is uh, mm-hmm. like a narrative podcast on the US men's national team. It's called From Cuba to Qatar, Remaking the USMNT. Uh, it will be available on the total on the total soccer show on the athletic soccer show feed <laughs> starting on <laughs> November first. Um, Taylor, if you want to put it on the total soccer show feed, hey. you know maybe we can talk to our bosses about that. Who hey, knows? why not? Um, Let's just throw it in there. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> More shows in the feed. I'd be fine with that. Um, but it, it's it's been a cool project. We got to talk to a lot of uh, the biggest names in U.S. soccer. Had an hour sit down with Greg Berhalter for that. Spoke with Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams and Gio Reyna, uh, Clint Dempsey, Demarcus Beasley. I even got a Thierry Henry quote earlier today for that, um, and some other folks as well. Uh, and I think there will be a lot of good details and information in there for folks that maybe weren't following the national team as closely as a lot of the listeners to this show would have throughout qualifying. But then also some new things and new details and good stories for those hardcore fans that watched every match and read every article and listened to every podcast. Um, I think we actually have some news type things in there. So stay tuned for that. November 1st, it'll be out. I have more questions about that. I I first wanted to ask you a more particular question about Clint Dempsey. I talked to multiple people about him after he retired and the consensus was like, you're never going to see him again. He is yeah. going to fish. He's going to live on his farm. He is not doing anything ever again. Now it seems like you cannot keep him out of the media. Are you yeah. surprised that he he is uh, the star of all of the soccer coverage? A, a little bit. Like, I'm not surprised that he's doing so well because I think he's got a cool personality yep. and he, he's not afraid. And, you know, he's always kind of had a cool voice, I think. So I'm not surprised that he's doing well. I'm a little bit surprised that he's doing it. Uh, to your point, because I thought that same thing, that he would just go disappear. And to be fair, he did for a while. You know, I can't remember when when did he retire? 2017? That season, so I think. Yeah, I think so. Like mid, like towards the end of that season, he didn't even make it the end of the year. Uh, and we didn't hear from him from, for like three, four years. So it's only recently that he's kind of been getting back out there. And I think mean, that's natural, right? There's only so much fishing a man can do, I suppose. Um, so... Yeah, I actually spoke with him today as well. CBS Sports was having an event at Brooklyn Bridge Park for their Champions League coverage, and he was there. And um, somebody asked him, you know, is this like the best U.S. national team ever? And he was just like, he looked at the person like they were crazy. And he was like, <laughs> no, no. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Which I thought was fun. Um, 
So I don't know. Maybe we can talk about that, Taylor. But we do talk about that on the on the show, Paul and I on this narrative podcast. Uh, getting Plug into that again. discussion Plug it again. Plug so it again. yeah, so you can listen to Clint. You can listen to all kinds of people on that topic. Which team did he think was the best? He didn't give a best, but when he was doing the comparison, he was like, you know, if you take the team from 2010 or 2014, I think we would beat this team. Wow. Like in so many words. And I mean, I don't know, Taylor, what do, you, what do you think? That that reaction makes me think that maybe you disagree. Which 2010 team? Is is it Ricardo Clark <clears throat> starting or is it Maurice Adu? Is it Robbie Finley <laughs> starting? Like that that changes the math a little bit. Yeah, it does. Um, maybe maybe he should have said the 2009 team. Yeah, that had okay. Charlie Davies, perhaps. Yeah, okay, that's and a beat Spain, one. right? Oh, um, and took Brazil to the brink. Uh, but but I don't know, man. I mean, I think to Clint's point, this is an interesting discussion for me. I don't know if anyone else is interested in it, but we get so caught up in the fact that these guys are playing for huge clubs on the current national team. And they're certainly talented. I'm not trying to deny that. Um, but just because they play for a big club doesn't necessarily mean they're better than anybody that came before them, especially when the people that came before them never could have gotten to that level in large part because of the opportunities that I guess they didn't have and the infrastructure that wasn't built around them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's an important, it's important context to add when talking about where this team ranks historically, uh, which is admittedly a very silly discussion to have in the first place, but sports talk radio, baby. What else are we going to talk about, right? There's plenty. We'll talk about MLS playoffs. We'll talk about the U.S. Some more. One more question about your podcast, uh, about the new show. That is, mm. who did you feel like uh, gave the best interview, or was just the most, if not energetic, I guess the most forthcoming in their experience around Kuva, around the failure to qualify, mm. uh, offering explanations or offering just insight into what might have happened. So we're very lucky in that a lot of the guys around the U.S. national team are, are pretty forthcoming and honest and not afraid to share their actual feelings and thoughts. So there were a lot of good interviews. Um, I actually didn't sit in on this one. I was off doing riding a bike in Amsterdam, I think, just taking in Sergio Dest's hometown at the time that it happened. But Paul spoke as, with Tyler. As one does. As yeah, one does. <laughs> but Paul spoke with Tyler Adams um, during the September camp in Germany. And he gave some amazing, amazing answers, including like putting us inside his head at halftime of the game in Honduras, which was, that'll be in the show. It was an incredible anecdote. Um, so that one I'm really excited about. Berhalter was was quite good too. And like really honest about where things stood between him and the players after, hmm. in the summer of 2019, after they got smashed by Mexico in that friendly at MetLife Stadium. And I thought that was really interesting too. That's interesting. I, I, I do I do really wonder about locker room chemistry and the way that team sort of comes together or doesn't come yeah. together and the relationships they have with the manager. So I, I look forward uh, to hearing that. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. It seems like it's going to be very good. I, I listened to the trailer. It seems very professional with a lot of, uh, yeah. of fancy audio and fancy production. Me and Paul produced it entirely ourselves. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we actually had real like audio people on it and some resources and um, – and you know, not Joe Lowry, that that bum. No, I'm kidding. Shots I love fire. I love Joe, but like, there's music and stuff. It's it's exciting. Um, 
so yeah, the, nice. the trailer is out on the athletic soccer show feed. If you want to dive through there, there's going to be a video at some point and we'll tweet it out once that's, once that's out. But uh, yeah, right. so excited. We'll see how I look, it goes. I look forward to it. Uh, in Hopefully the meantime, it's good. Hopefully it's good. I'm sure it will be. We've got playoffs to talk about, Sam. Uh, starting, starting at the pre-playoff period for you, who were you most excited about? Which teams did you feel like had the biggest likelihood of making the final or making a big run? Hmm. And who are you thinking will end up in the final now? Well, I picked Philadelphia and LAFC to make the final. Well, there we go. In my bracket. So yeah. still alive. Um, and I think LAFC will win against Austin. Philly, I don't really know how that one's going to go. I mean, I guess if I'm if I'm tossing it up now and I picked Philly already, then I'll I'll stick with my guns and say the Union. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if New York City FC win that game. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I believe it's no the MLS Cup hasn't been between two one seeds since 2003, mm-hmm. which is insane. Um, but pretty good odds, I think, that it happens this time. And Philly LAFC, I think, would be a fitting final. Two best teams all year. Um, I think it would be a good, entertaining game. I mean, I think that was one of the last sporting events that I remember prior to the pandemic was Philly going out to Bank of California and playing LAFC in a really fun match. Glesnes scored a goal from like 50 yards, just an absolute bomb. If you haven't seen that goal, go find it. It's worth watching. Um, so I think that would be a really fun match, and I'd be excited to see that one play out. Um, but like I said, would not be surprised at all if NYCFC win. Uh, I would be surprised if Austin do, though. Let's talk about NYCFC for a second, and then we'll talk about Philly and then go from there. Uh, NYCFC winning on the road against Montreal, now facing Philly. How mm-hmm. unfortunate do you feel like Montreal were in that loss? They hit posts, they had goals chalked off. It feels like it could have been their game, ultimately, yeah. obviously, ended up not being. So I actually talked to Thierry Henry about this this morning. Um, anytime I can say that sentence, I'm going to, by the way. No shame. <laughs> I want you to keep working it in, even in places it doesn't fit. <laughs> and he thought they were yeah. very unlucky. Really? Um, he's a little biased. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, it's small margins this time of year. And New York City scored on their first two shots. <laughs> um, and, always a good thing to do if you can. And, and Montreal had, what, three free headers? Yeah. In the first half. Yeah. Johnson made two really good saves. One went off the post. But that's kind of the thing with Montreal. They were a really good team all year round. They play good soccer. They're fun to watch, play with confidence. Wilfred Nazi got robbed, in my opinion, for coach of the year. He should have won that thing. Um, And But they don't really have a great striker. Kai Kamara was awesome, but he wasn't like one of the top guys in the league. And they had serious issues at goalkeeper all season. And that kind of did them in against NYCFC. Pantemis, I thought the first goal, he, you know, he probably could have done better on that cross. I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, the second goal, I'm trying to remember it in my head. Uh, there wasn't a ton he could do there. But the third goal, he gives up a penalty and, mm-hmm. and doesn't do very well there. So, and, the, and then, you know, not all of the chances were Kai's and he did well with some of them. It's not the end of the world, but a top tier striker in MLS maybe buries those. So, yeah, did they maybe deserve a little bit better? Did they outplay NYCFC in the first half? A hundred percent. But is it unlucky when your two kind of main, not weaknesses, but like goalkeeper was a weakness and then striker was maybe a question mark when they turn out to to not come through for you? I don't know if that's unlucky. 
Ismael Kone is certainly not a weakness. Is he your favorite oh, player in the guy. league right now? Oh, man. Well, other than Nuhu. Um, okay. Obviously, always Nuhu. That yeah, non-Nuhu edition. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I think he's really talented, Taylor. Like, I would love if he was American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I feel similarly. <laughs> like, I think he's just really smart with where he pops up on the field. He's clean on the ball. He's a good athlete. He's a hard worker, solid defensively. He's just like, he can really do a lot of different things at a pretty high level at a very young age. An amazing story as well. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of his, and I don't expect him to be in the league anymore. I think he'll be sold in January. Which I guess then begs the question, do you feel like Montreal will be back to a similar position next season, or do you see no. them having to rebuild? I think they're going to take a big step back because, one, for one thing, we don't know if Wilfred Nancy is going to be around. Um, Columbus are interested in him, as Tom Bogert reported first. I can confirm that, <laughs> not that, you know, what a ridiculous thing to I, do. I actually heard um, that from Thierry Henry. Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I yeah. didn't. But um, so so that's that's a but B, Georgie Mihailovic is gone. We know that already. Victor Wanyama has said that he's not going to be re-signing. So those are two of your best players. Maybe your two best players gone. Um, Kone, he could be sold in January. Alistair Johnston and Kamal Miller. They're both going to be going to the World Cup with Canada. Both of them have European aspirations. And this was a team that already kind of outperformed in terms of like, you know, the level of spend certainly that they put in this year. And if you're taking away how many players was that? Six? Se- yeah, several, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Any anywhere from three to six starters. All right. And, th- and three super important players with Kone, Mihailovic, and Wanyama. Like and maybe losing your coach too. Like, yeah, you're gonna take a step back. Um, unless you nail every replacement, which is gonna be hard. So we will see what happens with Montreal. We will see what happens with NYCFC versus Philly. Philly get their win over Cincinnati. Andre Blake makes some big saves in that one. You had him as your goalkeeper of the year. If you were awarding best playoff goalkeeper uh, at present time, would he also be your nominee? Would it be Sean Johnson? Would Brad Stiver be in there? What would you, or Stuver, excuse me, what, what would you go with? Yeah, those three would be the contenders, I think. Um, Stuver basically won the game for Austin in the first round. So you, you got to, you got to really think about that. He made a big save mm-hmm. against Dallas too, although I'm not sure how much he knew about that one. Um, Blake was huge against Cincy. You know, he kept that one zero. Uh, and Johnson was, I mean, they were all big. I don't know what Sean Johnson was doing on, on the last Montreal goal. He, he was he didn't cover himself in glory on that. He just knew that they were going to have a, a tough offseason. He wanted them to go out <laughs> with at least a, li- a little something, a little yeah. silver lining. Um, I think I would say Blake. Because I think most goalkeepers wouldn't save all the shots that he saved in that match. And I think if Cincinnati gets one, they they push on for a win. So I think I'll go with Blake. But I'm not going to be mad if you choose any of the other two. They've all been great. I'm glad you won't be angry. I wonder if that does make me then wonder if there are players that you would be angry about. I feel like there probably yeah. are, but we don't Stop need to talk me. about them. Let's talk about this game itself. Okay. So you said you won't be surprised if NYCFC advances. I'm sure you also won't be surprised if it's Philly. What do you expect of this game? Do you expect it to be a good entertaining one? Do you think it's going to be physical and kind of gritty? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming yes. there's still a little bit of bad blood from Philly having to play without 
I think it was like 400 different players last season because that of COVID. Sounds, so it sounds like the right number, give or yeah. take two or three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do wonder if this will be a grudge match or a, a piece of technical beauty or somewhere in between. I don't think it will be the most aesthetically pleasing match in the All world. Right. Um, Although NYCFC will certainly try, you know, they like to play that way. And Philly mm-hmm. has played at some awesome soccer at times this year. This but you saw I'm that confused. match against yeah, Cincinnati. Exactly. That was like, you know, I, I expected them around the 70th minute to like literally just like start digging into the turf to find some rocks so that they could throw <laughs> them at each other. Like that was an ugly match. It was awesome and entertaining and fun, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like... You know, it wasn't like the best soccer I've ever seen in my life, to put it mildly. Um, And I think it'll look like that again. These playoff games sometimes look like that. They're played at a very high pace. Philadelphia is probably going to press very high. They're going to try and take New York City out of rhythm. They're going to try and hit quickly in transition. And it's not going to be about sustained buildups so much for them. I think they're going to go back to what they really know and what their main identity is. And that's sort of Red Bull-esque. Not all the way there, of course. They have a lot more in the bag than New York does. Um, but, you know, that's sort of the bedrock for them. And so I think we'll they'll go back to that. And I, I don't think it'll be a pretty game, but I think it'll be a good game. And I think it'll be a fun game. Um, so I'm really excited for that one. All right. We've talked a little bit about the East. We'll come back and talk about the West and the U.S. in just a second. First, a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are back. Sam Stiskel still here with me of the Athletic and Allocation Disorder pod. I don't know why I reset as though we're on radio, but I still do it every time. It's a force of habit. Sam, like let's talk FC Dallas. Never stop. I will never stop. I'll keep resetting. I'll reset as we're uh, in the middle of asking a question. Uh, Austin, get the win over FC Dallas. And I guess as is tradition now, I want to start with the losing team. Uh, Jesus Ferreira only ha- uh, is, I think, only one other player. Uh, has scored as many non-penalty goals as him at the age of 21. Stole mm-hmm. that one from Matt Doyle and tried to remember it. It was tricky, uh, but was obviously very quiet in the playoffs. Didn't have much of an impact against Austin. Which performance do you think is more indicative of what he will bring to the USMNT? All the goal, goals scored in the regular season or being fairly quiet in the moments that really mattered? The latter. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I don't want to be like mean here. But I, I just don't get it with him right now. All right, do you want me to, I'll put it a different way. Did the Austin game showcase that he might be better as a second striker as opposed to leading that line in a 4-3-3? Yeah, but the U.S. doesn't play with that, right? This is true. So it's sort of irrelevant for the national team discussion, at least at this particular moment in time. I was watching that game, especially in the first half. I guess in the second half, he didn't play striker. So, you know, um, it was giving me flashbacks to the Japan match mm-hmm. in a bad way. 
and he was dropping so deep and he wasn't finding the ball in midfield, which is not entirely on him, right? So he's dropping deep, but he can't get on the ball. By dropping deep, he, of course, is not occupying the center backs and he is not making runs in behind. So the center backs don't have to worry about him. They're not doing anything. He can't get on the ball. He's He was just basically a non-factor, like completely. And it allowed Austin to be really compact and to press together more easily and to make things difficult for Dallas to build up because there's no threat over the top. And that's what the Japan game was for the U.S. It was the same thing. He was dropping really deep. He couldn't be found. There was no threat over the top. So Japan's lines were like 20 yards between their defenders and their forwards. And then the center backs couldn't find anybody because there was no space and there were no options. And then when they tried to force passes, they couldn't make them. And there was a lot of that happening, I thought, with Dallas in the first half against Austin. And and Taylor, I asked this question to, you know, like our athletic Slack channel as the game was going on. But Frank O'Hara comes in in the second half. And Frank O'Hara, a huge bust of a signing for FC Dallas, like makes three million bucks a year and is a bench player and has been the entire time he's been there. But he came in and immediately they got better just because he was a guy that was battling physically and staying high and occupying the center backs. And all of a sudden there's more space and there's more room to operate. And the center backs have to worry about somebody running in behind. And Jesus Ferreira is fast. He has the ability to run in behind. He just likes to come deep. And, and so I don't see this working for the, for the U S at the world cup. And, and maybe I'll be wrong. Hopefully I'll be wrong, but I, I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't really get it. Um, and I've, I never really have. Uh, and it's not, you know, he, he did well with his chances in the regular season this year, but he's in a bit of a slump right now in that regard. And uh, he certainly hasn't done well with them on the national team level, apart from one game against Granada. So would it make you feel any better to know that uh, when he first signed for FC Dallas, when I had to look up Frank O'Hara because I wasn't sure if it was Frank O'Hara or Frank O'Hara, and I didn't know if he was Argentine or Irish. <laughs> Does that help? Does that make you feel any better at all? Uh, no, but <laughs> it made me laugh. There you go. So, so anyway, the question I posed was like, what does it say that the U.S. national team presumptive starting striker at the World Cup, his team in a must win game in which they are down two goals bring on somebody to play striker and drop him into midfield and immediately look like much better. It says disconcerting things. And, and I want to have this conversation. I want to stick with MLS for a second. I do want to come back to that, but I guess, I guess it kind of answers the question itself, right? It says that he is not the person who's going to be the player we look to, to score the goals, to be that kind of person who's leading the line, uh, get, getting the goals, making things happen for the United States. It feels like, if anything, he's a player who will have to make way in the 50th or 60th minute when the U.S. needs a goal. And that is obviously not what you want from your starting striker. You did a great job of laying out sort of the way the U.S. wants to play, what the different uh, players in those positions bring and how it's supposed to work, and then the reasons why it's not. Again, we'll get into all that, I promise, uh, listeners. But there is definitely a lot of concern around the U.S., and he is a primary reason for some of that concern, at least for me. But let's talk about happier things. Let's talk about Austin for a second, uh, who did get the win here. They grind the win uh, against RSL and get that shootout victory. So it feels like they've got some grit to them they've got some technical ability to them josh wolf has shown he can make some uh some changes he starts gta gta gets the goal or the mm-hmm. goals and and it feels like they do have a lot going for them 
what needs to go right for them against LAFC and then what could potentially go very wrong for them against LAFC. Yeah. So first, like I want to just shout out Austin a little bit because that first game against RSL was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I actually thought RSL would win. I predicted RSL to win because Austin had all of this hype. They have this great crowd, but they'd never been in the playoffs before. And RSL knows how to make a playoff game ugly and somehow inexplicably advance. Like that's like their whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and it looked like they were going to do that until they got the red card. And then even after that, it looked like they were going to do it for a while. Yes, um, and Austin, you know, didn't look, I don't want to say ready because they were certainly like intense enough. It just like they, like they couldn't really meet the moment what it needed. And they weren't good in that game, but they survived and they advanced and they looked a lot better against Dallas and, and kind of more typical Austin. And, you know, Dallas gave them a lot of help on those two goals. Brandon Cervania, he poor clearance of a corner kick on the first one. And Alan Velasco with a bad turnover in midfield to lead to the second. But for them, it's it's a pretty simple format for me. Um, I don't think Austin is an amazing team like across all 11 positions. I think they're solid. I don't think they're amazing. But they have two huge difference makers. Driussi, obviously, incredible. One of the best players in the league. You see what he can do every week in terms of his all-around play, in front of goal, defensively, on headers somehow. He's really good at in the box. And then Stuber. And if you have that and you're competent around them, that can take you so far in a tournament setting like MLS Cup. We've seen it time and time again. Seattle is a good example. Two difference makers with Rui Diaz and Ladero, good goalkeeper and Fry, and some good stuff around him too. I don't think Austin is that far along in their development, but I like the formula. Uh, I don't think they're going to be good enough to beat LAFC though. So I don't even know what you asked, Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. I just went and launched into my own monologue. But I, I like Austin. I like their progression. But you can print this out and laminate it. I think they're going to lose on Sunday. Put it, put it this way. Uh, we don't need to print out and laminate anything. That was one of my takes, by the way, Sam, that I, I have zero patience for teams and people doing that. I think it's quite foolish. And I think it should go the other I, way around. In I fact. disagree. I like it. You know what? We always talk about MLS needing to be more interesting and more fun. What is that but this? Yeah, but I want it to be the other way. I want like Atlanta United, who I feel like a lot of people thought were going to be very good. I picked, I Atlanta Atlanta to, be, I picked yeah. them to win the supporter shield. They should apologize to me. That's right. what I'm saying. I want yeah. them to be like, we, we printed the receipts in your face, Sam. You thought we'd be good. Like, I think it could work both <laughs> ways. I think that'd be pretty enjoyable. But sadly, I don't see that being as likely. Or maybe I can print something out and be like, I believed in you. And you, <laughs> look you what go. you've done to me. <laughs> um, that's, that's the way to do it. That's the way but, to do it. I but think- just, sorry, just to put a point on Austin mm-hmm. here. Somebody, you know, I was looking at this the other day. They've spent transfer fees on Redis, on Pochettino, on Kolmanich, on Gite, on Romagna, on Dominguez, on Valencia, on Ragoni, on Driussi, of course, as well. Um, but re- not even all of those guys are still there. And Driussi is the only one that, like, plays regularly. Like, let alone contributes. And so, I think it just sort of goes to show, A, the importance of domestic players in MLS. And B, the importance of just like literally hitting the ball out of the park on one designated player and how far that can take you in this league. So they've got that one designated player. They've got the goalkeeper. If you're feeling like, let's say nine times out of 10, LAFC are going to win this game. What is that one game out of 10 for Austin? What like sort of well, do they need to do to frustrate we LAFC? Have to, we don't have to go back too far. Right. Austin beat the crap out of them. When, when was that game? I don't even know. Two months ago. 
I, time has lost all meaning, but yes, that feels yeah. appropriate. It was yeah. late. It was late summer, and they beat the absolute crap out of them. They looked amazing doing it, and LAFC were flat, and they weren't up for it, uh, and they were figuring. That was kind of when they were going through a period where they were figuring things out with all of these changes that they made to the best team in the league in the middle of the season. <laughs> and, um, and they hadn't figured it out yet. And I think they're in a much better place now. Obviously, the game against the Galaxy was a struggle. It was a fight, as expected, I think. It was absolute madness towards the end of that. Um, but Buanga is coming along very well. Uh, Vela, I, I mean, I don't expect Bale to play anything more than a few minutes at most in this game. Mm-hmm. And I think Vela and Buanga fit together nicely. I think Bale kind of gums that up a little bit. I think Chicho Arango, exactly what you need from a number nine. He's going to work hard. He's going to fight. He's going to be a decent finisher and he's going to play as a, a prototypical number nine. Um, and like, I, I really like that midfield. There are some question marks for me in defense. I was surprised, Taylor, that Chiellini didn't start the playoff game yeah. against the Galaxy. Yeah. I, I thought that was like the whole point of getting this guy was like for the big moments. Um, curious to see if he starts on Sunday against Austin. Um, so what needs to go right for Austin? Exploit exploit the center backs and hope that the attack just isn't really firing like it should. Um, they're going to get chances, but LAFC sometimes doesn't convert those. Buanga has had struggles doing that so far this year. Um, he seems to be coming out of it, but who knows? Maybe you can catch him on an off night. Midfield battle is going to be really tough. Um, Austin has a good three in there as well, but LAFCs are very good. And, you know, if Driussi can make a little moment of magic, if Stuver can come up with a few big saves and LAFC don't really bring the finishing boots, then I think that's the formula. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the sort of game that they played at Q2 Stadium a couple of months ago. I think LAFC will be much better. I did enjoy, I like watching celebrations and the kind of off-ball moments when you get to see players being candid. I enjoyed Are we Chiellini. talk about the makeout? No, we're just going to talk about Chiellini uh, uh, actually celebrating the the winner from Arango. Like I, I feel like there's other players who in that situation maybe wouldn't have been as I didn't lethal s- about winning. I didn't see it. What did oh, he just do? It, it just in the pylon afterwards uh, mm-hmm. that he, he is there and just sort of like grinning happily and jumping. And I don't know, like I, I, I think there's other players, again, of that profile who would have been pissed and not really yeah. wanting to warm up and certainly not wanting to sub on in the 95th minute yeah. uh, or the fifth minute of, of stoppage time. But there he was. I hope he starts for LAFC. I want to ask you about Gareth Bale because I am yeah. flummoxed by him. <laughs> he is a player that like I, I, I keep... It's it, there's the old joke uh, I learned from the Guardian that you like are uh, I think it's illegal to write off the German national team ever because they will always find a way to win when you don't think they will. Yeah. Similarly, I feel like it's hard to write off Wales whenever Gareth Bale might play for them. It doesn't matter how bad his form is. It doesn't matter how little he has played. He still seems to be very good for them. And that's what keeps kind of having mm-hmm. me nervous about that Wales game. But for LAFC, if, if, if we get that Gareth Bale, I am significantly less concerned. Um. Well, the Gareth Bale that doesn't dress. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I don't get. Is like, what, what is it that he doesn't fit? Is that is it that truly is just like I'm here to practice a little bit to hang out in LA and stay relatively fit for the World Cup? I, I think is that's it that it. he doesn't fit. Okay, I think cool. I think that's it. Like okay. I, maybe he's feeling a little twinge of something, and that's why he didn't dress. But think about this: if you're Gareth Bale, all right, you've spent your whole life trying to become a professional soccer player you've achieved that and you've become one of the best players in the world but despite all of your best efforts you can you can't drag this tiny little country that you're from to the biggest stage and finally you do it at the tail end of your career and 
you leave the big club Real Madrid and you go to Los Angeles and you're like, you know, yeah, I want to stay fit for these next few months. Maybe I'll play some games at the beginning. But man, once I get within three, four weeks of that tournament starting, would you play Taylor? Yes, but I'm stupid. So that, that's kind like, of the difference. Like, I'd be like, you know what? Just let's go ahead and shut this thing down. Like you guys are doing fine without me. You're the best team in the league. Like I'm here. I will train. Um, I will be a, a happy guy and I'll be a good dude in the locker room and I'll, I'll take all my teammates golfing. And, you know, but I'm not getting hurt before this World Cup. And like, honestly, like I can't even blame him if that's the attitude. <laughs> um, and the other part is LFC don't need him. And this has been a weird signing. It's been yeah. a weird run, uh, but it's a short-term deal. It's only one year guaranteed. His contract will expire next summer. They have an option for him that would make him a designated player. At this point in time, I would be stunned if they picked that option up. Do you think they do? If they could go back in time and do it again, do you think they would do this move again? Um. Hmm. Well, obviously, we don't have all of the information of, of what he's like within the team, and so, and so all no that stuff. is your answer. Yeah. No. No. I think they probably would. Like. Because it it hasn't hurt them. Like, there's an opportunity cost to every move that you do, but he's yeah. not a DP right now. They were still able to preserve that spot. And it's like, okay, LAFC needed some more veterans, I think. They needed some guys with pedigree. Maybe they leaned a little too too far that way with him and Chiellini and some of the other guys, Teo, who also isn't really playing, that they got. But they had all the talent. They just needed a little bit more savviness. And I think they were lacking that in their previous playoff runs. And they have it in spades now. So I think they would do it again. And all indications are that he's a pretty good guy and that he's well-liked by his teammates. And, you know, if he can help out a Mahalo Apoku, right, and give him a few pointers or Cifuentes hmm. or any of the other young guys on that team that are looking to do bigger and better things in their future, then great. Right. So I, I I think just because of kind of the low risk nature of it, that they would probably be fine doing it again. So is it is it then because I really am trying to get my head around this. Is it then basically that normally when you get a situation like this, like much has been made of Tom Brady, like getting days off from practice when his teammates don't. But then obviously he is still starting. Do you feel like some of it is that Gareth Bale isn't? demanding to start every single game when he feels like it he sort of is okay with taking that back seat, yeah. being the locker room yeah. guy and just same with Chiellini I think they huh. knew I think they they were all on the same page when they arrived the plan was never to play Bale every match and then start him every game like that was never the idea so I think everybody was on the same page and when that happens everyone can be happy how much credit do you think Steve Turindolo deserves then for, for balancing this ship? Even with all the assets he has, it still yeah. feels like we've seen I think teams he deserves, with plenty of assets implode. I think he deserves a lot of credit. Not so much for like managing the personalities of Bale and Chiellini, because like mm -hmm. I said, I think like they had a plan for those guys, and I think they bought into the plan even before they signed. So I, I, I would assume that that actually hasn't been that hard. Um, but just in terms of like steadying things enough, only barely enough, to maintain the shield and to head into the playoffs in a decent way. Not a good way. They haven't been in good form for a while, but in a decent way. Um, because they changed out like a huge chunk of that team in the middle of the season. And dealing with that for any manager is difficult, especially for a first-year one or for one that is managing a first team for the first time. Uh, so I give him a lot of credit for that because there was a lot of uncertainty with roles for a lot of different players. And he was able to, you know, 
keep it steady throughout and we'll see where they go from here. The thing with LAFC is that there's only one outcome that's good. Anything short of, of winning MLS Cup is a failure for them. So it, the jury's still out whether or not the season's been successful or not for them. Do you think if you're Don Garber, does he want it to be LAFC Philly because it is the number ones, it is the two yeah. best teams, quote unquote, or does he want the New York market involved? No. What is the New York market? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like commissioners always like LA, New York whenever they can get it. Yeah. Well, like that's the conventional thinking, but it's like, what is new? Like, all right, New York City FC's in it again. And let's say they win it and they they put another postage stamp up at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> Is that a good look? No, I think um, I think LAFC Philly. Let's not forget Philly is also a big market. Oh yeah, you know we I, like I to think of them as is yeah, this yeah. this underdog city that like does crazy stuff with their fans and they have this massive chip on their shoulder. But it's a big city, um, so I don't think casuals are turning tuning in for NYCFC. I don't think they're tuning in for the Union. So if the if the if the difference is zero then root for the better team and the one that will maybe have a little bit more oomph in their own market. And that would be Philly. I do love some Philly. I think it was them recently. It was a Sixers game, I think, where they made it that uh, if the opposition player missed two free throws, everybody got free chicken nuggets. And he <laughs> did. But it was like hearing an entire stadium cheer for a person to miss free throws. It, it, I it's used pretty to, great. I used to go to Bulls games. And if they scored 100 points, even in a loss, everyone would get a free Big Mac. So the, I, I remember being at a game when I was a kid and they were down like 20, but they got to 100 and everyone freaked out. <laughs> there you go. Promotions make it interesting. They certainly yeah, do. Yeah, uh, maybe the U.S. can do some of, some of those to get enthusiasm back for the U.S. Yeah, national team. Yeah. We're going to take a break. On One more break. Then we're talking about the national team. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back. It's time to talk the U.S. men's national team. There are things to be discussed, but the one I want to lead with, Sam, you were there covering the United States in their most recent friendlies, correct? Yeah, I sure was. What is <laughs> the atmosphere after those games? Because obviously fans are furious. They're mm -hmm. angry. Uh, the the Burhalter out crew on Twitter is obviously pretty vocal. Yeah. And I doubt that people are talking about Twitter in the post-match, but I am wondering, I think... Supporters fans want there to be a reaction. They want players to feel like something has gone wrong. Did you get the sense that players were upset or angered by the way that went, or were they mostly just kind of subdued? Um, they were definitely frustrated and, uh, and bothered. I don't think I would say they were angry, at least mm -hmm. not publicly, but I, you know, you got to put yourself in their shoes. They're the ones that underperformed, Right. They feel bad about it and they know it can't happen in the World's Cup. But how productive is it going to be for them 
to throw a tantrum and get really pissy. They have to go back out and figure this out in two months. So yeah, they're bothered, they're upset, they're a little bit concerned, but they know they need to move forward. So that's what they're going to project to folks like me in the media and other people. That's going to be the message. And I think that's totally understandable. Um, There was definitely a level of frustration though. Like they were like, yeah, we need to figure this out. This was not good enough. So yeah, there was that. Um, You actually, if you don't mind me asking, you've already said something really interesting there that I I hadn't really thought about, which is that you say they're the ones who underperformed. I didn't agree or disagree with you because I I, I don't really one way or the other, but it, it, it makes me think that, I don't feel like that's how we we tend to talk about this team. I feel like if they have a bad game, yeah. the immediate conversation seems to be, did Burhalter get it wrong? What were the tactics? What were the lineups? And maybe yeah. that's how we are with G- most sports. Guess what? It can be both at the same time. So this is my question. Okay. So do you, yeah. do you feel like that was the case of the system maybe not being great, but also the players failing to play up to the way they should have? Yeah. I mean, dude, that Japan game was a disaster in terms of individual and collective performance. Like, they couldn't trap a ball. Like, that's not Greg Berhalter's fault. Like, everything was loose. Like, everybody basically was off, except for Matt Turner against Japan. Like, it was just it was just sloppy all around. And sometimes you have those games, and you hope that not all 11 players have them at the same exact time. But if you, all 11 are going to have them at the same exact time, you want it to be in a friendly and not against Wales. True. So, I guess that's the silver lining to that one. Um, you know, there are system things here, too, right? Like... Brendan Aronson and Gio Reyna and Jesus Ferreira as a front three, well, that's probably not going to get you the the verticality that you want or need. Um, Pulisic was injured. Weah wasn't there. Your options are sort of limited um, in that regard. So that's part of it. But, you know, the, the constant, like, all right, we're going to play Tyler Adams by himself as a lone pivot. And we're going to ask Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman to find him. And for him to get on the ball and turn and distribute forward, like that's not what those guys are good at and they need help. And so the first half of that game, they didn't really have anybody next to Adams. De La Torre would sometimes drop down. Uh, second half, they tried to do a little bit more of it and things got a little bit better, but it was still pretty bad. Um, and then I was surprised against Saudi Arabia that he, he went single pivot again. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Kellen Acosta was playing playing in that match as an eight uh, along. I don't even remember who started with him. It's been, there's a lot going on in my mind. Taylor, help me out here. It was Adams McKenney. That was the other Coming one. Back. Okay. Yeah. But McKenney was playing a, a different role that I think he's more well suited to. Uh, he was playing higher stationed off to the left and he was kind of a direct outlet. And I thought in the first 20 minutes against Saudi Arabia, the U S was actually okay. They were getting the ball into good positions. They just weren't connecting on the final pass. And then, for whatever reason, they sort of stopped going as direct. Um, things got a little muddled. Saudi Arabia changed things a little bit, and they didn't adapt or adjust well to that. Um, and that was disappointing. Um, but I think if you have issues with Burhalter, like my main ones are just just drop drop somebody next to Adams. Give another outlet for the center backs. Give an outlet for Adams when he's on the ball, mm-hmm. and that'll help you and build up. But and then. So that's the main thing. And then the other one is personnel. Like, I think you can do personnel talk, but we can get into that in a sec. Well, I want to talk about that midfield because, again, you broke it down really well in that piece. Uh, Starting with Tyler Adams, what are his biggest strengths in your mind? What what would you say are his obvious weaknesses? Well, his biggest strengths are are obvious, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that man covers a 
ton of a ground. His engine is unbelievable. And defensively, he's a beast. You know, just a beast. If Taylor, have you ever seen him in person? No. Well, I mean, yeah, from like like mix zones, but very but, but like not in a match. No, no, I guess US games, but that's about it. So like watching him in person, like you you see more of the ground that he covers than you're, you're able to on TV. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like astounding the runs that he makes and the things that he tracks down. He's incredible at that. Dude, I don't think I have. The only time I think I've seen Tyler Adams in person that blows my mind is when he played for Red Bulls 2 against the Richmond Kickers. That might be the <laughs> only time I've seen him play. And he was probably still tearing it up in that way. In that oh, game. he definitely was. Yeah. It was him and Derek Etienne Jr. And yeah. there's a couple more in there. Yeah, they were. Anatolia um, Bong, I think, was in there. That's oh, a name wow. from the past. There Jeez. you go. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's, yeah. that's his strength. He's not great on the ball. He's okay progressing it, actually. But, like, is he a guy you want receiving it back to goal and turning and picking it out? Like, no, he's not great at that, right? So so that's Adams. Musa, what is he best mm-hmm. at? Getting on the ball, carrying it forward by himself on the dribble. Incredible with it. He can hit a good ball, too. Um but he struggles to like find the game sometimes. What does that mean? That was my next question. You said yeah, he, he's he struggles great to at finding the ball. Like he, okay. like he, like he's a really young player, and he's still learning how to play. And so he doesn't really occupy the best spaces and make himself available to his teammates all the time. Do you think of that as being like, like, because I think there are certain players who who do that okay, but they do it in a reactive way. So, like, there, to, in my mind, there's a difference between, like, sprinting 10 yards to get open for Tyler Adams versus sprinting those 10 yards before Tyler Adams receives the ball so mm-hmm. that you're already in that position. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about, or does he struggle at both? I think both a little bit. Okay. You know? And sometimes it's not sprinting. Sometimes it's staying home. Mm. You know? And that's Adams can struggle with that, I think. Sometimes he's too active with his movement, and it makes it a little too predictable and easy to track. Um, but Musa is incredible at breaking the press. And, and I think he's a, you know, the numbers aren't amazing, but I think he's a decent passer and progressor of the ball. And then McKenney, you know, when he is engaged and in, in like into it, uh-huh. he can be awesome. Like that game against Mexico at home in Cincinnati and qualifying, he was so good. So, so good. Right. Winning everything in the midfield, dominating duels, aerial threat gets forward is a goal is a goal threat he scored in that game, of course. Um, but like, Weston McKenney is not the cleanest player on the ball, like by anyone's definition. Even the biggest McKenney fan should admit that. Um, and that makes it difficult to play him in a deep role in midfield because he can't really do the buildup stuff that you want him to do. And also, sometimes he switches off and is a complete liability. Like if whether he's turning the ball over or whether he's just kind of out to sea with his positioning or whatever. And that's why he plays where he does with Juve. Where does he play with Juve? Kind of higher and wider. And he can mm-hmm. be up there and he's surrounded by more technical players. And he can just kind of go up and create chaos and be a threat in the air and be direct, turn the ball over. And when he gets the ball in the final third, he can be dangerous with his passing and all of that good stuff. So you just kind of let him get up there and, and, and create some chaos. So, you know, all collectively, they're very good athletes. They're good defensively, um, but they're not so good with the ball in possession not really good passers so i don't know i mean that's that's how i see the midfield yeah when we're talking about mckinney being engaged do you see a sort of correlation between the importance of the game and how locked in he is or is it sort of scattershot okay so is there then an expectation at least for you that he will be much more dialed in for those three group stage games yeah for sure um that doesn't excuse him not being dialed in in other games. 
Uh, Like I thought his performance against Japan was awful. Yeah. Like it was pathetic. And, and like he doesn't get crushed for it that hard because that's not really how we do it. But um, like in another country, if he was a Mexican player after that game, oh my God. Right. They'd be destroying him fans and press. But I think you said it earlier that like when you have all 11 players have a bad game in the same game, it's hard to single out one over any of the others. But it also is hard to chalk that up to just a random moment when everybody has it. It feels more like something might be wrong. It doesn't seem like that was your takeaway from covering those games in person. though. It didn't seem like there was a ton of dissatisfaction. No, I think they were upset after the game, right? But I, I, but I mean more so like they're not like coming out being like Berhalter got this wrong. There's not you didn't see signs no. of instability of infighting in the team. No, I guess what I mean. certainly not. Okay. And, and I think there was maybe a little bit more of that after Saudi Arabia. Like, hey, we need to figure out a way to advance the ball up the field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that might <laughs> so be good. A few yeah. guys said that. <laughs> um, but no, it wasn't so bad after Japan. Japan, they were eager to write off as, hey, we just had a bad day. You know, but then you had another one against Saudi Arabia and it becomes a little bit more hard, harder to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's how I see the midfield. And and I don't know, Taylor, I don't think Berhalter is like we need to build out of the back. That's not how I see him playing at all. I don't think that's how this team's set up. But I think a lot of people disagree with that. Is it fair to say that you think his team is built to press, work really hard, have numbers in midfield to make it difficult to play through them, mm-hmm. uh, win the ball back and counterattack high? Yeah, not so much counter it, but like quickly get it to the wingers and go. Okay. Right? Like, what do we talk about all qualifying? Verticality. That was like the buzzword for like half the games in the octagonal. Right? What does that mean? It's like press it, get it, and go. And they don't always play that way. And I think there's a tension here with Burhalter. Like in his own head, he wants to play with the ball. That's the kind of coach he is. He wants his team to dominate the ball. And the U.S. is not the sort of team that should be playing that way, given the skill set of the players. So I think there's like a natural tension there with sometimes how they play. But like everyone's like, oh, we can't build it up out of the back. We can't build that. There are going to be periods in a game when you're going to have possession. And you should have ideas for that. And the U.S. doesn't have a lot of those right now. But I understand the the, the notion of trying to build those. Um where I disagree with Berhalter is that he hasn't dropped somebody next to Adams full time. He did it in June with Musa and it worked, right? It helped the center backs. It helped build out of the midfield and crucially, and I haven't mentioned this yet. It meant Pulisic could stay high and wide and he would have more space to operate because the left sided number eight is dropping deeper. The right sided number eight is a little bit offset and right off to the right. So Pulisic can have that left channel to himself And so he doesn't need to drop so deep. It's easier to find him and he can get the ball actually receiving defenders and running a goal, which is where he's best. That's where you want him. And too often in these matches, he's dropping deep and he's taking himself out of the attack and he's neutralizing himself and the U.S. attack by doing so. It's not productive and he needs to stay high and wide. And so that's that's part of it. I think he's just got to he's got to do the two there in midfield. Adams does that. If he does that, and if it's Adams and Musa, mm-hmm. could be still McKinney ahead of them. We've seen them do that yeah. somewhat. Would you rather that be somebody like Brendan Aronson more central, or even maybe Jesus Ferreira playing deeper as that, like basically no. almost in a four-two-three-one? Uh, Aronson, you you can have an argument for hundred percent. I think Gio Reyna potentially you could have an argument for. Um, I don't think we'll see that, but he's certainly really talented. There's no doubt about that. Like McKinney in that role is it's more similar to the role he plays with Juventus. I think he's better suited for that. 
than the way that they usually play in the 4-3-3. So I think you're helping everyone here. And and so I'm fine if that's McKenney. I'd be fine if it's Aronson too. We saw it against Morocco. It was Aronson in that role. And it worked well in that game. <laughs> you know, Pulisic had a lot of space. They attacked really well. Defensively, they were a little bit vulnerable. Um, but the attack was working well in that match. So I think that could be Aronson. It could be McKenney. And, and by the way, like, I, I don't think it should be nailed on that it's McKenney all the time. Um, and one other thing here, Taylor, and I'm curious what you think about this. But I think some players are allowed to freelance on this team. Mm-hmm. McKenney being one, yep. uh, Pulisic being one, Reyna mm-hmm. when he's on being one, uh, yep. Dest being one. Although Absolutely. I don't know if he's allowed to freelance or if he just does whatever he wants. I, I think he defies <laughs> instructions, so he's allowed to do what he wants. On, on Planet Serginio over there. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> when you're trying to play a system that kind of, and guys can just go do whatever they want. Yeah. Like that's kind of counterproductive. And so. No, I mean, honestly, it's the th- it's one of the things that made me actively dislike Jurgen Klinsmann as U.S. men's national team manager. There were several things, but one of them was I, it will forever be a famous moment to me when he subs on Christian Pulisic in the Copa Centenario. And he says that his instruction to him is have fun out there. Try hard and have fun. And if that's what you're sending into an elimination game, that's the instruction you're providing. You are just saying do what you want and hopefully you create something. And yeah. so to me, ultimately, your plan is fingers crossed. Hopefully they create something. That is not going to get it done with the regularity required, certainly when you're going up against either better opponents or bunkered opponents. And I think the U.S. will experience all of those in the group stage. Exactly. And that's my concern here. All right. England, I think, you know, I'm not writing it off as a loss, but I'm going and expecting England to win that game. If the U.S. get a result, awesome. You should view that as a bonus. But I think, you know, the group, reasonable people can probably agree comes down to Wales and Iran. Mm-hmm. What are Wales and Iran going to do? Well, they're Same probably going to give the U.S. the ball and sit relatively deep and make yep. the Americans break them down and look to hit on the break. The U.S. has been bad against that yep. this entire time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And so I, I don't think they're magically going to be good at it in Qatar, particularly against like opponents that are good at that approach and have talent on their teams. Um, so it's going to come down to little moments. There will be chances and whether or not they can finish those off. But I think, again, I'm beating a dead horse here, man. But, like, you have to you have to drop Musa next to Adams. You have to have Pulisic stay high and wide. And, uh, you know, hopefully, Gio, like, Gio Reyna could change the equation for this because he's a guy that can break a team down, like, massively. But can you trust him to stay on the field for 90 minutes? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess time will tell. Maybe he needs to move to LAFC and uh, and you know do some training and hang out. I, that doesn't seem like a player he is ever going to be. I think no. Watching him, I watched him a little bit before we started recording this today. How uh, did he look? For Dortmund. He looked fine. He looked like his old self in that somebody shot when he thought they should have passed. And he made uh, no small show of communicating that to them. The, uh, <laughs> he does not hide when he thinks somebody made a poor decision. No, no. I hope he can grow out of that. He's a young guy. You know, so it's uh, I, I give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. I remember Taylor being pulled aside after a high school game by my dad. I think I was probably a junior. And he was like, Sam, you have to stop being such an. I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, every time someone does something that you don't agree with, like you like your body language is awful. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, really? And he's like, I, I like didn't even know I was doing it. So maybe that's what's happening with Gio Reyna, but perhaps Claudio should pull him aside. 
I don't know. Maybe I can call my dad and have him call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get him on that one. Yeah, I, I would appreciate that. And yeah, <laughs> I go back and forth. It, it's it's usually not my favorite thing, and I personally like obviously have never played at that level or anything close to it. But I always hated playing with pe- people like that because it yeah. just it's, it's not, not just nice. that, no, but it, it also it messes you up because if that person does that, if you're their teammate and they do it every time. They can't be open every time. You can't have made the wrong decision every time. And to some extent, if you are always complaining about the person like making the wrong Boy, decision, wolf. It, it well, yeah, it just becomes a like it's 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 zero or it's a hundred at that point. So they're either completely right or completely wrong, and it makes it hard for me to know when that person's screaming for the ball. Are you actually open, or are you just being yeah. you? And so yeah, then it ends up being a thing where sometimes I would try to force in a pass or do something just to not get screamed at. But then that doesn't really satisfy I would anything. Say, so it becomes I would say game. professional athletes as a rule um, are a lot more confident in their abilities on a field of play than like people like you and I would be. So like even if a teammate's screaming at them, they'll probably just be like, I did the right thing. Get out of here, you d-. Sorry, I yeah, can't say that on, on this show. Get out of here, you jerk. Um, I mean, you kind of already did. <laughs> we can read. We can redo it. Joe, edit that out. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh yeah Oops. it's fine we got a, we got a we got a bleep button for a reason i keep track of the times it's fine um let's talk number nines for a second because we 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 got into ferrera a little bit earlier and it it does start to feel like it is if not the then certainly a major concern for the united states obviously not breaking new ground with saying that the number nine spot is a concern <laughs> more so that i think i was comfortable with jesus ferrera is probably the starter because it seems like he does what Berhalter wants the best. He's Why were you comfortable with that? Because I, I've said this, I've said this elsewhere. Like essentially on this show, what we've always tried to do when we're picking our lineups, when we're picking our approach, we're always doing seventy percent what we think the manager will do, thirty percent what we think they should do. And the idea being that that manager knows more than we do about the players, about how he wants them to play, about what's being communicated in training. And so there's a certain element of we are assuming that there is instruction happening, there are things being asked of him, and that, for example, in in the Japan game, if everybody is having a bad game, I think sometimes it's easy to attribute that to the one player you think doesn't fit, and I think people do that with him sometimes. I yeah, think they do it with McKinney true. sometimes, and yeah. Aaron Long, whomever else, others. But and, and so I think sometimes, for me, it's there's unfair criticism thrown his way. Sometimes it's, oh, like if they had had Tim Weah there, who's been out with injury, he changes the dynamic of that. Yeah, team. those they had sort of counterfactuals. Yeah. But I, but I think eventually, and this is kind of a new thing for me, when, when you keep not having that performance where it all clicks. And like, I think people point to, I think, was it Panama where I was sitting next to you? Uh, I guess I saw Tyler Adams play there. That game that they won like five or six to one in Orlando. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's one where I guess it all clicks, but I don't know if that's the caliber of opposition that we're looking for it to click against. Yeah. But short of that, it, it, it starts to feel like th- that is just a, I know what Berhalter has asked him to do. I know what Berhalter wants him to do. I ask pretty much every guest on this show when they come on. Joe, I've asked like three or four times, like, what does he want that number nine to be? What does Hazes Ferreira do? But I, I keep coming back to it doesn't seem to facilitate the rest of the attack. And that's the problem. I don't know if that's entirely his fault, but I think you said this in the article. You need people to then occupy that space that he vacates. But if Pulisic has kind of carte blanche to do what mm-hmm. he wants, if Reina does and, he, and they're both starting, you've got two guys who are kind of wandering around doing whatever they want. There isn't that system there. Way, and so way it would help out of it. in that way. Yeah. 
because yeah. he'd be staying high and running behind, right? So, if, 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 what does he want? Like, he wants like that goal against Morocco. Aronson, it was a tap in after that crazy run and, and mm-hmm. great first touch by Pulisic. If, do you remember that one? Vaguely, <laughs> honestly. Right. So, Ferreira dropped in, right? And as he was checking back, Pulisic made a diagonal run behind. Yeah, okay, yeah. And Zimmerman hit a long ball over the top, Mm -hmm. and Christian took an incredible, unbelievable first touch, dribbled into the box, cut the ball back, chopped up his man, and just played a square ball to Aronson for a tap-in. Like, that's what he wants, right? Is it the moment Jesus drops in, somebody is making the run behind behind the center back that's tracking Jesus. So that's the ideal, but like, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't really... I just don't really see that working often, particularly against opponents that aren't necessarily going to be pressing you very high. <laughs> and I think you just need a striker who can get in there and bang and be goal dangerous and make good hard runs across the center back and try and put in a cross. If you're going to get the ball into wide areas and you're going to be trying to get into those primary assist zones and you're going to be cutting balls back across the six, like you need somebody that's, strong enough fast enough and big enough to make that run and And position well enough to make that run and it's not jesus ferreira yeah um and i mean for me i like i think i would go with Sargent. um i think peppy is making a good argument for sure right now but uh so i think he'll be there so weird like like pfock pfock is doing some some decent things i think he's got some big weaknesses in his his game though he doesn't combine like well at all like he just doesn't um so that's that's something that's bad for him brandon vasquez will not be going i think we know that now he's not even in this fitness camp with some of the Is other he not? oh i missed that no him and mihailovic and williamson none of them are even in that um yeah so i think that's safe bet that he will not be involved <laughs> in qatar um I, I like i would i would feel better playing at least three and maybe all of those four over Ferreira right now. I listened to him. This is going to be a, a deep cut reference. I listened to a movies podcast where they were fixated on star Wars. And I think early on, like Colin Trevorrow was, was linked to direct and maybe write all three of the new ones. And they were so opposed to that. They thought it was going to be terrible. They thought that'd be a horrific idea. JJ Abrams takes over. They're all on board. And by the end of the, the new trilogy, on the last podcast, they're like, I mean, maybe maybe Trevor o would have been the way to go. And that's how I feel about Josh Sargent. That like there was that period when I was sure he was gonna get it done. Then it was like, nah, this guy is not good enough. He's not even close. He has so many things to work on. Uh-huh. It feels very strange that we're back to like maybe it should be Josh Sargent, but also huh. maybe it should be Josh Sargent. Because it does seem like he does a lot of what's needed against that type of form change championship is a good indicator. Form changes and circumstances change. Right. I was never on the sergeant bandwagon like some people were at the beginning. I was like, guys, let's take a chill pill. He's doing this against Bolivia. It's exciting. It's cool. He's obviously got some talent. But like, let's sample size this bad boy. And then he went through three really hard seasons with his club. Started qualifying. Main number nine. And he looked so bad, man. Just like broken as a player almost. Like he couldn't even strike a ball properly. Like it was brutal to watch. He felt bad for him. And thankfully he's found it again and he's doing well with Norwich. Um, I think he's gotten stronger. Not, I think he has, he confirmed that (laughs) in the September camp. Um, He moves really well. I think he does a lot of good 
striker thinks he presses well, he can combine. And like when you're talking about a guy who can make the hard runs across the face of a center back, he can do that. He can occupy the center backs. He can finish from different places with different, you know, parts of his body. And like, he's doing that in the championship right now. And so I don't know. I think, I think he'll probably start, but I, I don't know, man, it's hard to predict what Greg's going to do with that position. Maybe this is an obvious question to close out, but I always struggle with it. So if it is going to be two more defensive teams, teams that are comfortable sitting deep and ceding possession to the United States, and mm-hmm. I do think that's what it will be with Iran and Wales, I honestly think England would be smart to do the same thing. I think I that secret is kind of out on the United States, that if you make them have the ball, they will give you opportunities to score on them. What would you like to see the United States do against that type of opponent? Because in my mind, it is basically be boring. And it's take your time if you have to, keep the ball if they're going to give it to you, but don't just start getting frustrated and getting overextended and committing numbers and trying stupid things and getting caught in possession. Then obviously that runs the risk of just having very stodgy, boring, nil-nil games. But That's okay. I, I, yeah, I'd rather that than getting countered and then suddenly we end up losing 4-0 in the opener. So I would say the main idea has to be to mitigate your weaknesses and accentuate or emphasize your strengths. And so if a team is going to give you the ball, well, you know, you're probably not going to do what the Red Bulls do and like kick it over the top and be like, we're going to lose it, but we're going to lose it in a dangerous area and then win it back, right? That's not necessarily going to be the approach and I'm okay with that. Um, but what are your weaknesses? Well, your center backs aren't very good at playing balls on the ground. They're not. Adams, your main outlet in midfield, isn't great at receiving the ball, turning, and playing it forward. So how do you mitigate those weaknesses? Well, as I've said 100 times on this podcast, you drop Musa deeper. You, you let him help. Mm. Right? So the center backs have another option. Adams has another option. And Musa can break the press by himself on the dribble. And then you're cooking. Um, I would also play a striker who's a more direct option than Jesus Ferreira. Because while Walker Zimmerman in particular isn't great with hitting the ball on the ground or playing shorter passes, he hits a good long ball. Yeah, he does. Like, quite good, in fact. So let him do that. Let him go over the top. And and it's not Greg saying, hey, Walker, feel free to hit a long ball. Well, if you play Jesus, he doesn't have an option to do that. So give him the option. Play a sergeant or a Pepe or whoever. Let them occupy the center backs running behind maybe the wingers can be a little bit more direct and make those runs, right? So you so you mitigate the weaknesses by asking them to do it less and giving them more options to do it with when they're when they're having to do it. Again, another strength is the wingers. Those are the best attackers, maybe the best players on this team. Try and find them high and wide. Like keep it simple. If you're not going to start Reyna, which I would be fine with considering his injury issues, but let's say they start Pulisic and, and Wea, right? Keep Wea high and wide like you have and and tell Christian, don't drop deep, man. Like, don't try and go find the game. You're not really doing anything back here. Stay high and wide and we'll set up the midfield to get you the ball in better positions more often. So, like, that's what I would do. I I would would play like they did in June where they dropped Musa deeper. I thought that worked pretty well against Morocco and Uruguay, to be honest with you. Play McKenney a little bit offset, a little bit higher. Tell Christian to stay high. Uh, and play a striker, for God's sakes, play a striker that can give you an option over the top. I I found myself nodding along to a lot of that, Sam. So I, I'm feeling a little bit better. I think I, I have felt after those two losses, 
or they felt like losses. I guess Saudi Arabia wasn't a loss, but they both felt pretty uninspiring. Yeah, uh, you can call it a loss. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's that we've talked about it on the show before, but there's that line in Welcome to Wrexham where they're as they're slowly still learning about kind of the sport itself. Rob McElhenney says to Ryan Reynolds, "This was a draw." But I get the impression that sometimes a draw feels like a win and sometimes a draw is a loss. And this felt like a draw that was a loss. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it was. But yeah, I think I came away from that feeling like I knew the least um, about this team that I have since we started talking about them, since Greg Berhalter took over, genuinely. That it felt hmm. like for everything that you could fix, it opened up another hole and there was another issue. Yeah. And and it's sort of that's where I don't love... Like I can handle not having a plan. What I don't love is having a plan that keeps changing and being yeah. adjusted. And like, never mind. Part A of that plan is no well, longer here. And this gives me a little bit of a of a feeling of there is more of a plan than I'm. And, and I think he will do that. That's what he did in June. And there were a lot of guys injured in September. We have to remember that guys that are now healthy. True. True. Anthony Robinson was not there. Turns out the U.S. does not have a backup left back. He's rather important to this whole thing, right? Um. Yunus Musa, not there. Also super important. Tim Weah, not there. Also super important. Yeah. Um, some of the center backs were not there. How important they are marginally over their replacements, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not an issue that's necessarily going to be fixed over the next month. But those other guys are, are important to how they play and how good they look when they play. And and so I think if there's any reason for a little bit more optimism than what we saw in September, it's that like, hey, the cavalry is here now. And it that should make things better. Um, having said that, it's going to be a dogfight to get out of the group, man. It's going to be hard. Yep. And I don't know if they'll do it. All right. LAFC, Steve Trundolo, start Gareth Bale, play him the full 90, get him injured, I'll feel better. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There you go. I think we solved it. Well, Sam, I appreciate you taking... A long, long time to talk to me today. Uh, very much appreciated. One more time, uh, let people know about your yes. existing podcast and your upcoming podcast. Please. Allocation Disorder, listen to that, whatever. Um, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Allocation Disorder, it's out every week on the Athletic Soccer Show channel. Obviously, that show was born here on the TSS feed. M- many, many millions of thanks to Taylor and Daryl, who played a role in getting that off the ground as well, and to Joe two who produced all of those episodes that we would send him at one in the morning on Wednesday or Thursday nights. Um, like seriously, that show doesn't exist without you guys. So thank you sincerely yeah, from the bottom of my heart. Paul and I will both be in Qatar. We'll be doing all kinds of allocation disorders before and after matches that the U S play. Um, and we will be putting out our narrative podcast from Cuba to Qatar, remaking the U S men's national team. That's dropping on November 1st, which is geez, that's a week away, isn't it? Um, really excited about that. That's Whoa. also in the athletic soccer show feed. Whoa. Yeah. Right. Um, oh so yeah. Uh, and thank you, Taylor. This has been fun, man. And sincerely, like, thank you again, because without you, there is no, you know, people don't get to hear this voice every week and what would the world do without that? Right. It would be a darker place. I love you and Paul. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's, it's what Daryl and I had. It's what you and Paul have. It's, it's really nice to hear people who are friends who you and Paul would be having. I feel like a lot of the conversations you're having on the podcast after a game anyway. And so yeah. it's nice that we, we have mics in front of you to hear it. Mm-hmm. So no, I think, I think you all do a wonderful job of all things MLS and us and, 
fake sponsors and weird random divergent conversations. I haven't done a fake. 10 minutes. I haven't done a fake sponsor in a long time. I know those are still my favorite. Though. I need to get back. On that. <laughs> <laughs> we have like That's real sponsors now, so it's harder, you know. But um, but yeah, I, I need to think of one this week. It's a good reminder. I, I believe in you, my friend. Uh, but I, I appreciate it, Sam. I look forward to having you on again. But for now, thanks so much. I look forward to having you on. Home and home. Oh, yeah. Let's work oh, it we, out. We're doing that, right? Yes. I, I feel like people are never entirely sure what my area of expertise is. So they have me on. And then they're like, so podcasting. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I do. There we go. That's my area. That's, that's what I got right. for you. That's, that's what I'm going to ask you about. <laughs> Phrase it that way, too. So podcasting. Podcasting, um, indeed. And then away we go. All right, buddy. <laughs> All right, Sam. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Listeners, thanks so much for sticking with us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you again soon.